it. HDS, sir, and how are you this afternoon? All righty then. I have a package for you. Sounds broken. Most likely, sir. I'll bet it was something nice, though. Now, this is an insurance form. If you'll just sign here, here, and here, initial here, and print your name here, we'll get the rest of the forms out to you as soon as we can. That's a lovely dog you have there, sir. Do you mind if I pet him? I don't give a rat's ass. Oh. Ooh, you boo. Ooh, you boo-boo doo-doo. That's fine, sir. I can finish the rest. You just have yourself a good day. Take care now. Bye-bye then. Hungry, fella? There you go. No problem. It gets flooded. We'll just wait a few seconds. Joygasm moment of the week. Of course, this is when Jim Carrey made his big debut on the silver screen as none other than everyone's favorite pet detective, Ace Ventura. This film came out back in, I believe, 1995, which is a long time ago, Steve. It's a very long time ago. Russ, I believe you were a sophomore in high school. That is correct. This film had a massive impact on my mom, well, me. And long-lasting, shall we say. Absolutely. I was a fan of Jim Carrey on, what was it, in Living Color back in the day, which was kind of the, the competing TV program to Saturday Night Live. And I loved it. I thought it actually in Living Color was even funnier than SNL in, in certain ways. But it was great to see him it began to branch out from that show and then all of a sudden get into movies and he really went on a tear there for a while. No one was really prepared for his sense of humor, which is interesting because of course he kind of embodies some of the more um, classic physical comedians back in the, the early days, you know, the black and white TV days and that sort of thing. And, but it was, it was interesting. Like you just, you really didn't see that level of physical comedy And it was just fantastic to watch him just explode on there. I remember actually um, the girl I was dating at the time, uh, (laughs) I took her on a date to see the movie. I hadn't seen it yet. And we had complete polar opposite responses to the film where I I literally was just absolutely inspired by the film. I thought it was just, it was such a, a liberating film that just made me laugh till I was crying. And uh, my girlfriend at the time was absolutely horrified by it. She hated it. Needless to say, 
that relationship didn't last long there, Steve. <laughs> I think I can remember who that was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, but no, it, it was just great because the film itself, it was a low budget film and it was Jim Carrey back in when he was a, a sprightly young man and was just completely raw when it came to his type of comedy that was oftentimes, I would say, unpredictable. It was, it was much more him hamming it up and just kind of doing things on the fly as opposed to this is how we want you to do precisely, you know, A, B, and C, that sort of thing. And honestly, I think that there are quite a few different comedians when they, especially when they're doing movies and stuff, you kind of have to let them go off on a tangent and let them do their own thing because that's when some of the most genius ideas come to fruition. But it was just great to see him play this, this delivery guy. And uh, instead of UPS, it was HDS. And he is just, I, that, that was the even from the very beginning of the movie where you're watching this, this, you know, UPS esque looking delivery guy who's just paying no care whatsoever. It's like, it's like every one of our worst nightmares when it comes to having something get shipped to our address. And we're just hoping that they just hand it with kid gloves. And you watch this movie in the intro there. It's just, it's so awful watching that poor package just get absolutely brutalized on its way to the recipient. And, uh, and of course, actually the recipient I thought was just as funny too. I mean, he, he's not in a lot of movies, but the movies he is in, he's very much a character actor in his own right. Yeah. what do you think, Steve? I don't remember who I saw that movie with the first time if it was with you or it was with friends or who it was all i remember was going in the theater thinking okay i'm going to watch a comedy ace ventura okay it sounds funny and then i started watching the beginning thinking what did i get myself into (laughs) what is this who is that and it was hysterical um i want to say i was the one who probably invited you because i wanted to go see it again i saw that movie like five times in the theater not including the times that you recorded it on cassette. That's and right. Listen to it to and from home to high school uh, and back. That's right. Um, back in the good old cassette day. tape days. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that was actually. I'm glad that you brought that up. That was one of the the hobbies I would do. Is um, for some of my favorite movies, I would actually record the entire movie onto cassette tape. And back in the day, of course, we had the uh, the family green minivan uh, Aerostar. And, uh, of course we didn't have any kind of CD player or anything like that in there. Well, it was back in the cassette tape days, but it was great because I could actually listen to the movie. And of course, because our parents had such a strict rule, we had this rule in our house where we were only allowed to watch TV or play video games on Friday, Saturday, and Sundays. And there was, there was like a couple of exceptions on like a Wednesday night and a Thursday night for one TV show that came on. One was the wonder years and the other one was the Simpsons. Uh, but that was kind of my way of compensating because I just, I, I had to have my entertainment one way or another. And I ended up being able to memorize, uh, pretty much the whole movie <laughs> by yeah. listening to it over and over and over. Well, then I remember when we met our second cousins for the first time in Illinois. Yes. And good old grandma was there too. And they said, you know, we ought to watch a movie. Russ, what do you think we should watch? And uh, what do you think Russ recommended? Grandma watch with us. Mm. None other than Ace Ventura. That's right. My goodness. And although it's funny, 
grandma also didn't think it was that funny. Yeah. Kind of like your ex-girlfriend. It, it's kind of funny uh, in its own way how some people thought it was absolutely brilliant and hysterical. And then there was, like I said, there was this, this polar opposite, <coughs> excuse me, where um, people just hated it pretty much or, or, or they just really thought it was distasteful or whatever it was. I just, I thought it was so... I don't know. It, it was so fresh and so new. And I mean, at the time, like, like Jim Carrey was my hero in the nineties. I, I absolutely loved his performances in Ace Ventura, the mask, dumb and dumber liar, liar. Even, I mean, liar, liar may have been in the early two thousands by that point. Uh, but he had done quite a few, even the Truman show that there were quite a few that I just, I just really loved. And I looked forward to seeing what he was coming out with next. Truman show, by the way, is on my Netflix queue. I haven't watched the Truman show all the way through. Oh, I've watched the end. It came on cable once. I was like, Oh, the Truman show. Oh, that's the end. Into the that's Sunday. nice. <laughs> anyway, I remember the soundtrack of that of Ace Ventura it was actually a decent soundtrack. Oh Yeah. And I remember playing the Tone Loke <laughs> yep. song at the end through and through. Even the song where uh, Ace is driving from here to there and they play that just a transportation song. And I think playing or opening, closing the, the, the sliding glass door and yelling became a household activity, which yes. drove our parents nuts. Uh, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of <laughs> behavioral stems from that movie. I think also too, there is, I think comedian, there are certain comedians who really make a big impact on pop culture. And I think Jim Carrey was definitely one of those in the nineties and going into like the, 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 two, the early two thousands, he, um, his approach to how he would do some of the, the comedic elements you just saw people be absolutely um, caught up in it and, and obsess over it and couldn't get, you know, just couldn't get enough of the different types of, of characters that he played. And you can see that also in, in, to a certain extent with other comedians. I know Adam Sandler was another one who in the, right. the more in the early to mid nineties, that was like when he was a lot more raw. Um, Chris Farley was another one, you know, when, when you have those larger than life type of, uh, character personalities that, that people play, then that tends to get more kind of ingrained in everyone's psyche. And well, I think slapstick humor also, depending on who you are, you like different types of slapstick humor. Yeah. Like there's some that I just can't stand and other stuff that really is hilarious. And Jim Carrey's slapstick was hilarious. It really was. And what was cool about this film in particular was how, it was, you know, because it didn't have a huge budget and, and Jim Carrey as a household name hadn't been established yet. He, he was, he was kind of coming out of the underground area. Sure. He was on in living color, but you had like, you know, 10 to 15 other comedians that were all on there and they all had their own funny little stints and segments and stuff that they would do. So it was cool to see him essentially go for broke in this film. You know, he's like, well, I got my one shot. Let's see what we can do with it. <laughs> and honestly, too, I think that the casting director should be commended on this film because all of the secondary uh, characters that, that he comes across are also just as fun and memorable. And it just, I don't know, it all works in this world of Ace Ventura. 
Anyway, you are listening to Joy Gasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360. He is Steve, Xbox Live Steve Vich, and we are in a state of play in episode 141 today, September 26th, 2019. We have a fun show for you today. Uh, we have a couple of movie news items that uh, include Jurassic Park and Kevin Feige, although those two are not connected at all. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, our topic of the day is the Sony state of play that occurred um, earlier this week. So we want to provide our reactions to what they presented to all of us. And without further ado, Steve, what's new with you? Well, I saw the the new, well, it's not really new anymore, but the new, the remade Death Wish with Bruce Willis. Death Wish. This is this a remake Death of an older movie? Yes. Uh, and I'll have to find uh, the name of the main actor uh, from the old movie. But it didn't get that great of reviews, but I kind of wanted to see it anyway because I, I did actually like the classic version. Um, I don't think I've ever even heard of this. You had, you you never walked in the, in the, in the blockbuster movie and walked past the action section and never seen Death Wish. Steve, I haven't set foot in a blockbuster video in uh, what? 20 yeah, years? Yeah, I 30 know, years? I know it's been a while, but I mean, it's it's an older movie. Back when there, were, when there was movie rentals, there were still movie rentals, just no blockbuster. No Eastman video. <laughs> you walked past Death Wish all the time. It was a rated R flick. The story is you had this doctor whose family basically gets accosted. and Well, that's not nice. Right, and he's always dealing with these victims who have been shot um, or been a victim of gang violence. And when his family finally gets hit, he has enough. And he just decides vigilante justice is the only justice. And so he just starts <clears throat> walking around and saving people. Uh, not superhero style, just uh, Punisher style, I guess. <laughs> Very soft-spoken man in little words. Give just, you a spanking style. Yeah, spanking... Uh, if you're El Chapo. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard of this. This must have made a bigger impression on you as a kid. You probably this is like one of your little naughty films that you'd like sneak over and just take a look actually, at. Actually, huh? no. Um, so I saw this movie later in my life. I was watching. I took an elective at at uh, in college. Mm. And it was just like a movie appreciation course. I'll well, take that for some credits. I bet that'll be an easy A. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this was one of the movies they had us watch. I was like, ah, sweet. So anyhow, so the guy just basically takes uh, matters in his own hand, in his own hands, in his own appendages, right? And just starts offing bad guys left and right, ah, and saving people because you know if if you're getting mugged, if you call the police, the police are going to take like 15, 20 minutes to get to you. Getting mugged only takes five minutes and then they're gone. And the police take a report and that's about it. You know, so this guy just kind of happens to be in the right place. He'll take a little walk at night and uh, off baddies. Anyhow, the previous version was was definitely a lot better. Bruce Willis is not so Bruce Willis-y. And mm. this movie, you know, he's, he, he's kind of typecast in a regard, but he's a little... Bit more reserved, okay. In this one, uh, but this one is a little more. Um, I don't know. Uh, there, there's a lot more like showmanship in the movie. Uh, like 
they play ACDC when he's cleaning his Glock. Or so, you know, like, what What are they doing this for? Or, sure. or when he's looking for a gun, they're like, like making this into like a big fanatical thing. I don't know. Whatever. So anyhow, it was so-so. It wasn't terrible, but it, eh, it kind of deserved all the reviews it got. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. <laughs> well, what else <laughs> you been up to, Steve? <laughs> anyway. Well... You and I were uh, twitching some fifth gear, some gears to the fifth element. We were indeed. And, and there was no Bruce Willis to be found in no, Gears 5. No, there were other very masculine people. Question for you. Oh, Did you end up playing through the, the campaign that you left off on on your own after we had played or not? No. Okay. I have not yet. Mm-hmm. Not yet played through the rest of the campaign. Mm-hmm. So I was actually surprised you were as far as you were because I had, I, when we were playing, I was further along than you are. And then I kept playing. And I thought, ah, <laughs> looks like I'm going to beat this before <laughs> Russ does. And then you go, I saw you online and I wanted to join you. And then we started playing I'm like act four. I'm on act four. How could he already be on act four? <laughs> and so, yeah, so that happened. That surprise. Like, yeah, surprise. Yeah. Anyway, that's what I've been up to. Mm-hmm. What about you, Roy? So, uh, in terms of Sekiro, I've gotten farther. I'm now literally at the final boss of the game. So, if you recall, last week, I was having some issues with the, uh, the return of my foster father, who was uh, beating me over and over and over and over and over again. Luckily, I was victorious in my tenacity. So... I was able to get past him. I also got past the Divine Dragon, who was another boss. Um, and a couple other mini-bosses. and um, I, Including, actually, the, I also got past the secret boss, which is the Demon of Hatred. Oh. And this is no boss to be trifled with. I had seen people uh, kind of go up against them and uh, fail miserably and that sort of thing. And uh, I actually discovered a bit of a, um, a, a flaw, a weakness, if you will. So I am not the first to discover this, but apparently if you leap up onto um, a certain corner of a building during the fight, he will charge at you trying to get at you uh, just as aggressively as he does and uh, he will end up falling over the cliff and committing suicide basically and you get the win well that's easy <laughs> I was, I'm like you know I think I'm going to try that and see if it works and sure enough it did I was like you know I will uh, be the first to stand up and raise my hand and say, yeah, I cheesed my way through that particular boss battle. But you know what? It's kind of cool considering like how many knockdown dragged out fights I've had throughout the entire game and knowing that I have the final boss battle, which is going to be just I'm sure it's going to be ridiculously hard. I just thought it'd be fun to share that with you. Steve. Uh, you know what I should have done was I should have recorded myself during that. That's what I should have done. That's what I should have done, Steve. That sounds like um, sounds like fun, Russ. It is. It's it, actually the game is lots and lots of fun. Going over to your point about Gears Five, we ended up beating Gears Five in the campaign mode, and uh, I'm glad. You know, we, we ended up twitching that 
this past Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. And I'm glad that actually we started to broadcast that after there's a, there's a certain turning point that occurs and you haven't seen it yet. So that's why I was asking if you had uh, gone through your own personal single-player campaign uh, since the last time we were playing or the last day or so here just to see if like you had checked it out or not because there's there's a certain something that goes on and be curious to hear your thoughts on it. I just don't want to spoil it for those who um, are still making their way through the game. But the game was, I mean, just in terms of a uh, kind of a visual spectacle, it's it's really impressive looking at just the graphics fidelity of Gears 5. Uh, I'm, I'm really blown away by that. And we actually talked about it at length after we had beaten the campaign and the credits were rolling. We we're just kind of giving our two cents on just what we thought of the play experience overall. And I can say, I think the, you know, the, the story mode has always been the part that I enjoy the most. I'm not as much into the multiplayer side of things. I think it's fun to do for a little while, but then it kind of gets old. Yeah. It just kind of gets old. Doesn't hook me like other multiplayer for um, shooter games do. And that's okay because you know, I'm, I'm, like I said, the story stuff is what I come for anyway. It's the same thing for me in call of duty. I am terrible at the multiplayer Call of Duty, but I really do enjoy the single player story campaigns and that's why I buy the game is just for that. So finally, I got around to opening up the Mr. Freeze statue by Prime One Studio. They got delivered actually about two months ago. It's been sitting in my office. I haven't had a chance to actually open it up. It's a third scale statue of Mr. Freeze from the Batman universe. And that thing is big. You just saw it tonight before we started recording the program. And um, this particular statue is actually from the Batman Arkham Origins game. And it actually, it fits in really nicely with the Arkham Knight line. And that's what I'm collecting is a lot of the, the characters that Prime One Studio has done for the Arkham Knight game. Um, that's what my, one of the lines I'm focusing on, but they didn't really do a, a Mr. Freeze from the DLC from that game. They instead decided to go with Arkham origins, which I got to say, I actually really do like the art direction of that character from that game. I think it looks realistic. It looks cool. He looks threatening. And I don't know. What do you think? No, I, I would like to see him move actually. If they animated him, <laughs> I mean, I know he's from the game, but it kind of just brought me back. And I thought, man, if they just animated that and made him a little robot, that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> no, they really did. A, they outdid themselves. The thing is really detailed. It looks fan friggin' tastic. Well, without further ado, let's jump into some movie news. We only have a couple of stories here, but they are worth some attention. The first one is that Disney taps Kevin Feige to develop Star Wars movie. This is pretty crazy because The Hollywood Reporter uh, let the news out of the bag that Feige is working with Lucasfilm CEO Kathleen Kennedy and no details have been disclosed yet as to what it is exactly it's going to be. I'm pretty sure it's going to have nothing to do with like the Skywalker saga or anything like that. It's going to be a brand new Star Wars movie. But what I think is crazy is how they are tapping into someone like Kevin Feige, because obviously when you look at his resume, he's generated, I think something like over $22 billion over the last 10 years from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I personally don't know how I feel about that decision. 
simply because I want him to focus on his passion, which is Marvel. And I think we've talked about it on a couple of occasions on the show about how his list of responsibilities continue to just increase year after year. And I mean, even before this news broke, he's already in charge of phase four of all the Marvel movies. And he's in charge of all the Disney plus TV shows that are Marvel based. I think that's fantastic just because he's going to tie everything in constantly and have like certain people make cameos and that sort of thing. I don't know how I feel about him helming a star Wars movie though. What do you think about it? Yeah, well, I, I don't, I don't think it'd be that bad of an idea with him behind the helm of a Star Wars movie. I think if Kathleen Kennedy is still involved, puts a bad taste in my mouth, Rush. I don't know how that's going to be. If you let Kevin Feige run wild with it, I think it could be promising. I think Kathleen Kennedy's a little ball and chain. If you want my true opinion, I think what's. What I do think could work out is that the fact that Kevin Feige is not directing a Star Wars movie, he's going to be behind the scenes like he was with Marvel in more of kind of like an executive producer capacity. And that could actually bode well for the film in terms of organization, having the structure and that sort of thing, having the, the overall vision that connects everything together. But again, it doesn't, I don't think it's the one all fix all kind of solution that I think Kathleen Kennedy is hoping for. I think she's starting to kind of tap people within kind of the Disney organization that they are now a part of and just kind of ask around and see like, oh, well, clearly they've had success doing this thing with this intellectual property. Maybe they can help us out with Star Wars. I I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, uh, but at the same time, I think Star Wars is its own beast, just like Marvel is its own beast. You have to have a certain someone who really gets the canon, who understands that world, and who just absolutely exists for that world. And I think he does that to a T with Marvel. Star Wars it remains to be unseen. Isn't uh, John Favs part of it too? So John Favreau, yeah, he, I believe, directed the Mandalorian TV show that's going to be debuting on Disney Plus, which I'm looking forward to because he was the director of Iron Man. There you go. The second story we have here is Jurassic World 3 cast announcement. This one is also uh, quite surprising when I heard about it. Jeff Goldblum, Laura Dern, and Sam Neill are confirmed to reappear in the Jurassic sequel. I... I, I, like I said, I, it's I'm kind of flabbergasted because the last time we saw all three of them together in a Jurassic Park movie was I think the f- it was either the first one or the, were all three of them in the second one. I can't remember if they all three came back for the sequel or not. I want to say Sam Neill and Laura Dern came back for the second one. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Or was it just Jeff Goldblum who came back? I think Jeff. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's it's really <laughs> difficult to know. My, my initial gut response was that Sam Neill and Laura Dern came back and then Jeff Goldblum perhaps came back for Jurassic Park 3. But I, I may be, op, I don't know, I may be completely wrong on that. Anyway, it's, it is pretty crazy to see that. Um, I am also curious to find out uh, whether or not Steven Spielberg is attached to this particular film. It's just interesting how these... These, these characters, I don't understand how they could come back to a place like Jurassic World, especially considering 
the horrible experiences that they had to survive back in the first film. I guess that's the that's, that's the secret of movie making is you could tell any kind of story you want and uh, we'll see how it plays out. Jeff Goldblum was in The Lost World. Okay, Jeff Goldblum was in the sequel. Okay. Very interesting indeed. Did somebody say state of play? It must be the topic of the day! topic of the day is Sony's state of play reactions, which occurred just a couple of days ago. This is the first time that I think either one of us has actually sat down to watch a Sony state of play. Of course, I don't think that they have had too many of these. And the first thought that came to my mind was that it, it reminded me a bit of Nintendo's Direct. I think that's it. That's where it draws its inspiration was from Nintendo. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because like that, that was one of the the immediate draws I had, I was like, this is awfully like, I mean, I think the only thing that was missing was like having like the Sony CEO have a speech or, or talk in between the games or whatever. But other than that, it seemed to be uh, pretty close. What did you, what, what did you think of, of the Sony state of play overall? I think the way they arranged it was kind of cool. It was just trailer after trailer after trailer, which was neat. But I, I've never watched a state of play. I thought they were going to have some sort of presentation especially since Sony wasn't at E3 and everyone's wondering what's going on with PS5, that this state of play, they might have had more than just trailers. Mm-hmm. So it was a bit of a letdown that it was just trailers and that was it. It didn't seem like, okay, if this is going to be what you're organizing. Why don't you just um, release the trailers instead of create this event with you know only 20 minutes worth of showcasing and that's it. So, I don't know. Uh, it was fine the way it, way it was. I like how they organized it, but I just wanted to see a bit more. And Sony didn't have any kind of presence at this year's E3 either. Right. And I, th- I think that's one of the things that actually surprised me quite a bit when it came to this in particular is how because they decided to, to not participate in this year's E3, all eyes, I think, were on their state of play presentation. And I think that's what they were hoping for to do is they didn't want to have to share the spotlight with any of the other competitors and that sort of thing. But I I would say that that really puts pressure on them to produce something that is memorable, that will get their fans excited. And I would say I'm, I'm similar to you in the sense that I think it's cool that to have kind of trailer after trailer. And I did appreciate how, um, the VO that was in between the games, it just, it set up each one and ended it nicely, you know, over and right. over again, there wasn't a lot of fluff in between, which is great because it just got us to why we're here in the first place, which is to look at the games. The one thing that does, um, stand at the forefront of my mind though, is that they are all video and there's no kind of live game demo that's going on. Sometimes when you're at press conferences, they have kind of a mixing of sorts where you have, 
certain games that are like game trailers. You watch the video of, but then also you have people who are standing out there on, on the stage and actually showing the, the, the game being played in real time. And right. that, really removes any kind of concerns or doubt, or maybe it injects brand new concerns <laughs> and doubt. Who knows? <coughs> Anthem. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the first game that they showed off was called Humanity, and it reminded me a lot of Lemmings. I think I made the, the little comment to you about how it, it was almost like Lemmings 2.0, where you had these uh, kind of crowd system, particle system setups of these these people, these bodies that are just kind of all going in a direction and you can kind of manipulate how they go and that sort of thing and have certain reactions. And, um, I found it strangely odd, um, seeing people shuffle frantically, but lifelessly, like there wasn't, it, it, it seemed like they were just kind of like they, they wanted to frantically get somewhere, but there was, there was kind of just this, uh, uh, almost a marionette puppet. Like, it, like there wasn't any kind of soul in the bodies, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah. We're just running. We don't know why we're running. And there's big blocks pushing us over cliffs. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I wonder if it's kind of a creative sandbox where it allows the gamer to be able to, to make like a, a level and then have these hordes of people go through and see what happens. At least that's kind of the, the idea that I got from it. We're like, Oh, I can put these blocks and I can, you know, have them move back and forth and you can adjust like how much you want them to move. And then, you know, just kind of press the play button and see what happens. I could be totally wrong, but it's, I don't know. It's just in terms of the way that they were maneuvering themselves and everything else, it's probably not a game I'll ever play. It didn't really <laughs> hold my interest, but the second game that they were showing off was Call of Duty Modern Warfare. And uh, I have a friend who used to work over at Infinity Ward, and he has been talking about this particular title uh, for the last several months. He, he's been talking to his friends who've been working on it, and um, he's been saying how this seems to be a game that has a lot of, of major potential. And so we finally got to check out the trailer for it. I'm happy to say that price is back. Price was one of my favorite characters from the call of duty storyline. And the story, speaking of the story, it seems to be like something that you would see right out of Hollywood. It just, it looks like a trailer to a movie really in terms of what's going on. And it almost has kind of a Tom Clancy gaming <laughs> vibe to it. Like something you'd see from like ghost recon or something like that. So what'd you think of it? I thought it was definitely interesting. I, I welcome the single player campaign story mode back. I mean, I'm not a battle Royale guy. So, uh, the call of duty and the multiplayer and the battle Royale wasn't my thing. I'm not going to drop 60 bucks to go play that, but I do like the campaigns and the stories of, Call of Duty's from the past and have bought Call of Duty just for the story. So, yeah, I mean, if they can make, uh, if they can go back to what they, what brought me as a gamer into that franchise, then I would definitely pick and pick up a copy. If I had to choose something to um, say that I'd be negative about the trailer, it's just that there wasn't um, enough gameplay footage. Most of what we saw, and I would say 98% of the whole trailer was just pre-rendered cinematics. And so, of course, I mean, Call of Duty has never been a slouch. I just want to see what kind of levels and gameplay footage we can expect from it. I guess we'll just have to wait till, what was it, October 25th is when it comes <laughs> out? <laughs> the next game that they were talking about was called Watam, or is that how you pronounce it? Watam? Watam? Watam. Watam. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure what the purpose of this game is, 
Uh, it is strangely emotional considering the characters are all abstract objects and stuff. Like it, it had yeah. this kind of community coming together, be supportive of one another kind of thing. But yet it was, it was like a notebook and a toilet and some others. I don't know, just these random objects together. So I'm a little <laughs> lost in terms of just what, what, what are we doing here? What, what, what are we playing exactly? Why is that one angry and why is that one in love? I don't get it. The, the following game after that is actually a game that was probably one of my favorites that they showed, which was called Arise. Yeah. And uh, the, the art direction is kind of a mashup between um, Zelda and Inside, I thought, just you know after playing Breath of the Wild and then also um, playing Inside. And of course, Inside was one of my, I, I think, did I even say, I think I said it was like my favorite game of the year when it came out. Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you you have what appears to be like some sort of older guy. Like he's an old man who's like on this journey. It looks like it's kind of this fantastical world and... Well, it's like he's in his afterlife because in the beginning they he's on this wood pile and they burn the wood pile. Oh, so I think he got up and left. I didn't at know that, that was point. him. Yeah, so yeah, uh, then he get he wakes up. He's like in the clouds, and then he just goes on this kind of journey. Maybe I don't know, <laughs> purgatory journey. But <laughs> that makes sense. Hence the name arise. Right. Okay, okay, I'm tracking. So. Anyhow, no, that that was probably the star of the show for me, honestly, because of all the, the, the story modes and the, the graphics and it just made me wander and made me kind of fantasize about what the game was going to do. And yeah, it did bring me back to inside and I, I loved watching you play that game. Yeah. Um, I just actually, I just love watching you. So I know you do <laughs> anyway. So yeah, that was, that was, that's why I keep the curtains open when I shower. Awkward. Awkward. <laughs> Moving on. Shaving my armpits. <laughs> oh, that's hot. <laughs> oh, did you, oh I, thought, I thought you were going to say something else. Uh, no, Russ. Oh, okay, I, okay. That, that was it. <laughs> uh, let's see. PlayStation VR montage was the next item on the list. I, I think it's nice to see that Sony continues support of their VR platform. I've never tried out the peripheral myself. Have you tried it out? No, I haven't. It was kind of a thing that was cool and, and for a minute, and then people stopped talking about it. So I don't know who plays it and who doesn't. None of my friends, I knew a bunch of people who used it and who was mm-hmm. playing. They're like, oh, VR, it's great. And then no one ever talked about it again. Okay. Yeah, I don't think I know really of anyone who has the VR headset either. I'd be curious to know from our listeners who do have it. Do you guys enjoy it? Do you not? Do you find yourself playing it on a pretty regular basis or using it for certain things? <laughs> I, I really, I have no idea. What I do notice in the games is like oftentimes you'll see these, this pair of floating hands, which I know are, are supposed to be your hands so you can grab onto stuff and do things. Like if you want to climb a ladder in first person perspective or whatever, I just find it distracting, honestly, seeing this pair of floating hands. It just seems like it, it would yank me out of the immersive experience. Like if I'm playing, I don't know, let's, if I'm playing Batman, uh, you know, VR or whatever, and I'm, I feel like I'm supposed to be in first person, but then all of a sudden I have these detached hands that are floating around the screen <laughs> doing things. I'm like, ah, I'm, just, I'm not feeling it. <laughs> I'm trying to punch somebody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
feel like Mike Tyson's punch out over something. <laughs> uh, so the next game after that was called, I think it's called Medieval, or there's a play on it. It's like, like Medieval or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah something. It looked okay. It wasn't a game that I, I was particularly interested in. Yeah. I mean, it was fine. It was more like, if I was going to say, like an Xbox Live title. Yeah, <laughs> it totally feels like an Xbox Live title. I did appreciate how he could like tear off his arm because he, I mean, essentially the main yeah, character. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, the main character <laughs> is the skeleton and it's in this kind of cartoony, stylish looking world, almost like a, not quite Tim Burton, but it's in kind of in that direction. And they were talking about, you know, they briefly said how if you don't have a weapon, you can just pull off your arm and use that to beat on people and stuff. I think that that could be a hook for the game, but I don't know if the game really goes far enough. I don't know if it's just your arm or if you can pull off like, like your head and use that to like throw at people. I don't know. It just really depends on um, how crazy they get with that particular gameplay mechanic. Probably won't ever play it though. <laughs> Probably not. Rod. Now you noticed that civilization six was announced and you have played an older version of that game. I've never played any of the games uh, in that series, but it's one of those games that always looks interesting to me. Just having that whole, like, Oh, you get to build up and like, I, I, uh, played Sim city and I feel like this is kind of a, you know, game that's in the same genre. I've never played Sim city. Okay. <laughs> but so when I, for the 360, I downloaded a demo of civilization. I thought it looked kind of interesting. And so then I went there, but it was fun. And so I went out and I bought it. Mm. And I think I beat the whole game in one evening because once you you kind of do it once, you, it, it is the way it is. You unlock some stuff and whatever, but you, you can be certain nationalities who you, you learn about their history and then they... Oh, they actually have in-depth um, history know, of their culture. I don't know that. if I'd say in-depth, at least... Maybe it was some, there was some more unlocked stuff that I didn't Maybe get Maybe they put to, just enough in there where you're like, oh, I feel Egyptian all of a yeah, sudden. Exactly. I want to learn more. <laughs> uh, but I feel as though I have Nordic roots all of a sudden. <laughs> so, I mean, it was fun while it lasted, but I didn't. I never played it after that. But, I mean, you know, if it was on sale or something, yeah, I, I, would, I would probably pick it up and start it all over, especially on next-gen consoles. You know what I'm saying, I wonder if it plays as good on a console as it does on PC. Because I could see that totally working very nicely oh, on PC with the keyboard and mouse. But I'm not sure about how... I mean, I guess it'll be okay. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of... In a way, it's it's kind of like uh, Command and Conquer sort of thing. That's mm-hmm. kind of that type of play style where you're exploring this big, large map. And you got to build up your civilization in a sense. And time transpires. And while it transpires, you you increase your technology and your defenses and your army and defend yourself, make alliances, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The next item on the list is the Death Stranding PS4 system. Obviously, Hideo Kojima's game is going to be coming out here in November. Is that right? That is correct. So, of course, they um, are going to be releasing a PS4 system that has a, a theme, a Death Stranding theme on it. So the... The system itself has kind of a, a cream white color with the, the black tar handprints all over it. And then the uh, controller itself is more of a translucent yellow color. I think it's it, it almost kind of reminds me of the container that the baby resides in. Mm-hmm. So are you, are you going to get one of those, Steve? Uh, no, I'm not. Are you um, sure? I'm absolutely sure. 
But if I'm totally going to get you one for Christmas. That could be a conversation starter for Thanksgiving. You ever think about that? Mm, what do you mean, Steve? People could debate on what they think the story is about. Because at that oh, point. Oh, I see. Yes. At that point, people, the game would have been out for, you know, the game's out on November 4th. Thanksgiving is, you know, November 26th, 7th, 8th, 9th. I don't know whatever. Anyway, is November 25th? <laughs> It's right around there. 20-something, Mid-20s. Yeah, you know? You don't want to say 30th. It's past. No, you don't want to say the 19th either. No. Definitely not the 19th. Mm. Anyway, we, no one knows what the game is about, and people are going to be talking about it that month. <laughs> <laughs> hey, by then, you know, it's starting to cool down. It's rainy outside. You got, you got to have something. You got to have a brain teaser of sorts to be able to keep the, the lively uh, banter going. How about yes. that? The uh, extended family relatives who you've never talked to in the last, uh, well, whole entire year until Indeed. Thanksgiving. Right. Yeah. The holidays. Finally, they showed The Last of Us 2, which everybody was wanting to see an update from uh, a couple of years ago. I know a couple of years ago that was when they had the first trailer of this game. I was a late bloomer to the first Last of Us. I ended up playing the remastered edition on the PS4 and uh, I was very impressed. I thought the game was, was really well done. Um, and I was curious to see what was going to happen. One of the things about this particular title, first of all, they said that the release date is on February 21st of, of uh, 2020. And um, I noticed, especially in the snow scenes, for some reason it reminded me of Red Dead Redemption 2 because you have Ellie who's on a horse and she's in the snow and she's making her way through like a snowstorm. It just immediately called back to, to what Rockstar had done to, at the the beginning of, of RDR 2. The other thing, though, is that the game just really is, from the videos alone, it just is too brutal for my taste. I feel as though it is a, it's an exploration of humanity, but it's an exploration predominantly of just the, the evil side of humanity. And I think, you know, because the graphics are so well done, there's a lot of realism and that sort of thing in there, but I almost feel like it's too real. And I, I don't know if it's because I became a parent. And so I've, I've become kind of a wuss when it comes to this stuff, but it's, it, it is something I noticed even in TV shows as well, where um, I was able to, to hang with like the walking dead, for instance, for a long time. But then after a while, it just started to get to a point where, where I just couldn't, handle watching it anymore. Um, Game of Thrones was actually another show where well, that was very much the same way where like I started watching it and I watched it for like the first, my goodness, I think I, I, I was watching it until about season six or something like that, six or seven. And um, winter never came. <laughs> I kept waiting for that winter. Never came. But um, yeah, when it comes to a game like this, I might end up just sitting on the sidelines just because uh for some reason, when I watch it, it's just, it makes me feel uncomfortable. There's a, a level of brutality and violence that's there that, um, you know, it's one thing if you're fighting fantastical beasts and creatures that don't exist, but when you're going for super photorealism kind of thing, I think that that it gives me pause. 
I was actually the same way with Mortal Kombat 11. I really wanted to play it, but then when I saw like the fatalities and the brutalities and stuff in the game, the graphics are definitely getting, getting more and more realistic. And of course, when they come to those fatalities, like my friends who play the game, like they, they say, oh, it's totally over the top and that sort of thing. And I get that. But at the same time, there's just a part of me that's like, man, like I just, I feel kind of queasy looking at some of this stuff. I don't know. It's just, it's, that's just one man's opinion. What do you think, Steve? Well, Russ, I don't have to worry about it because I suck at fighting games. You know what I mean, So Mortal Kombat, you know, don't have to worry about it. Um, More of The Last of Us. I really got to see what the jury's going to say with that one. I never played it. I know I got great reviews. And I watched the very long beginning of it when I was over here when you got your PlayStation Pro. Mm-hmm. And so, um, the jury's out. I, mm, we'll see. I think since I'm not a parent right now, uh-huh. I might be able to handle it. Might be, uh-huh. able, might be able to stomach a little bit more. Uh-huh. Especially after work when I've had my fill of pizza and beer. And <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, that's the last of us. It's <laughs> <laughs> the last of that beer, I'll tell you that. Yeah, I'll throw that one in the recycle. <laughs> Time for part two. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go over. What the heck is happening over there? <laughs> Why does he sound like that on the phone? Yeah. Anyhow, so yeah, I mean, it's, well, we'll see what happens with it. I'm not going to rush out and purchase that one. I'll just see what the reviews are and what people say. Overall, um, with the Sony state of play, I found it to be underwhelming. I think that mm. obviously it was nice to see some some heavy hitters like The Last of Us 2 mm-hmm. and um, Call of Duty Modern Warfare. But I got to say, if this is Sony's plan uh, moving forward, they really do need to up their <laughs> their lineup and they need to yeah. up their production value their a game. bit on there because <laughs> up their game. Oh, right. And that pun was intended. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I think that that's kind of where I stand. Where do you stand on it? Well, I, you know what? It brings me to a bit of concern, Russ. On what kind of concern you is know, that? Because at this time, there's, we're waiting for the new systems to come out, uh-huh. but we still want to play great games in the systems we have. Uh-huh. And there's not a whole lot of really exciting stuff. Uh-huh. On the horizon. For uh, wait, are you talking about it in general or just for Sony? You know, absolutely in general. It's for Sony because we're we're talking about it now. But actually, in general, I mean, if we talk, if we, if we go back to E three when they were showcasing all these games. The games were actually weren't coming out until next year, which means Christ- Christmas time. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to rush out and buy anything, Russ. You know, even if it's on sale, like, yeah, I'm not excited. Well, even the release date schedule has shifted quite a bit. It used to be back in the day that all these games would come out right around November in time for Christmas. But now we're seeing um, a departure of that. We're starting to see how we actually have different types of quarters. Like, like there's like the February, March timeframe, the end of first quarter has actually become a time to have a lot of like really heavy hitting games come out, which I never thought I would see. That's odd because 
all the kiddos are going back to school. Exactly. But I mean, if you think about it, I mean, Horizon Zero Dawn came out mm-hmm. at that time. Uh, Dead or Alive 6 came out at that time. Oh, yeah. um, Anthem was released. Mm-hmm. You had, uh, what, what are some other ones, too? <laughs> I think Anthem was just about it, bro. Well, like, I mean, isn't Cyberpunk supposed to come out in well, March? Sup- well, or yes, February? Supposed to come out then. Yeah, and Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy 7 uh, Remake. Okay. Even this year, earlier, Resident Evil 2 Remake came out in what, March? Like February, March? Was it around? Yeah. So it's interesting to see that like, wow, that's, that has become kind of a, a, a opportunity there for the industry. And of course it obviously is lucrative. Otherwise they wouldn't continue that time frame. Yeah. Maybe they know something we don't, but you got to think we're just about in October. So if we got October, November, December, and January, that's four months of not a whole lot happening. Yeah. You know? There aren't two main drops I'm noticing. One is in February, March. The other one is in September, October. That's when the other big titles drop. But then we're also seeing kind of a sprinkling throughout the year. I mean, that's one of the things that I have a problem with is trying to keep up with all these different games because um, the industry as a whole continues to grow more and more. And that is good news for all of us gamers out there because that just means there are just that many more games to choose from. And we're not experiencing those really long droughts that we used to back in like the nineties. But anyway, we're digressing a little too far off from the state of play. State of play. The Sony state of play. Yeah. Sony PlayStation. Did you have any other uh, final thoughts about that, Steve? Ah, Sony better to get their act together, Russ, because as of right now, Microsoft still got the spotlight from E3. I think I... Happen to agree with you on that one. That wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Make sure you tune in next week. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm and consider becoming a monthly contributor. That's J-O-Y-G-A-S-M. You'll get exclusive perks and early access to the show, not to mention it really helps us continue doing all this saucy stuff that we love to do. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. Last, but certainly not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We will see you next week. Bye-bye.